I bring greetings from India, where we live. My wife and myself, we have come here about more than one month back. Uh, it, uh, words cannot express our gratefulness and our joy of this fellowship that we have been enjoying during all these four or five weeks here. Uh, my name is very difficult for you to pronounce. That's why he said K-N, K-A Nambudripad, but you can call me by K-N, that's better I think. Or I have a pet name by which my people call me, that is Kunchu, <laughs> K-U-N-C-H-U, Dr. Kunchu. Uh, it's a bit easier for you. Another thing I want to say is that my accent, I don't know if you can follow, this is an Indian accent. And uh, I will speak slowly. We have inherited this from British people, not Americans. <laughs> and so it will have a British little slant towards British accent, but not entirely. Uh, our own local uh, accent also will be there. Our vernacular language is Malayalam. So I hope you'll excuse me if you don't. If you have any doubt, you can ask me later on after the meeting is over. Uh, my wife's name is Ammu, and uh, we have two daughters. One is in Dubai, she's a French teacher. Both of them saved. And of course, I don't have to introduce Sunu, Suma. She's here, and Jones is my son-in-law. Uh, we'll be here for another two and a half months. We have many relatives in the Northeast, uh, Boston and uh, Washington, D.C. and other places, Minneapolis, Los Angeles, my brother, family, and many nephews and cousins and all those people. So we are hoping to meet some of them. And uh, so since you have asked me to share my testimony, this is all for the glory of the grace of God only that we have been saved. So I would want to share this simple testimony of of uh, how I was saved. Uh, but if I share my testimony, my salvation experience, I have to mention my eldest brother's testimony also because these two are closely related. Uh, it is like Andrew witness calling Peter and bringing him to Jesus Christ. His, my eldest brother was the first person in our whole family to be saved. That was in 1957 or so. Uh, so I will tell, before that I want to tell about, uh, I think Brother uh, uh, Malcolm is little interested in telling about something about Hinduism. Some of you already may know, but Hinduism consists of lot of philosophies and idol worship. They have many gods and goddesses, many views like denominations in Christianity, but more complex and very difficult to understand, even for us. So uh, they don't have any assurance of salvation. They think that by doing certain things, by works, they can achieve. That is a philosophy of the many people no, all over the world. Uh, but the Bible is very clear, it is not by works. But they believe in that. And also going to some rivers and getting deep in that, they think that they can set salvation by offering money to the temples 
and all, all kinds of uh, things they do. Uh, so that is uh, uh, background in uh, from family. We were uh, ancestors were all teachers of a language called Sanskrit, which was uh, like Latin. It is a dead language now, but many of our uh, scriptures, the Hindu scriptures, were written in Sanskrit. So they have to study that grammar and other things. So for many, many years, uh, generations, our ancestors were uh, not only teachers, but they invite students. And in our own home, it's like a home school, about uh, 300, 400 years, I think so. They were doing that, uh, teaching Sanskrit and other related uh, uh, scriptures and things like that. And that's what uh, we were doing, our ancestors were doing. But my grandfather was the last person who studied these things. After that, a lot of social changes uh, came about in, in, in that part of the country. And we left all those things, old uh, traditions, and we started going to schools, traditional schools, uh, instituted by the British people, English education, Western education. And so we all started going there. My eldest brother, who is no more, who is with the Lord, he was the first person to get a degree from our house. And I want to tell you that we were living in a joint family of at least about 30 to 45 people in a big, you don't see that very often. It's a big, it's a quadrangle. There is a courtyard inside. All around there will be buildings, four sides, and there will be first story or second story. Uh, people will be living in different rooms with their families. Different, they have common meal. That was the kind of life that we were leading when I was young. But then after some time, uh, the property was partitioned, and we all went separately to different parts. So that is the background in which I grew up. And I used to worship these idols, uh, like all other people in the morning before breakfast, go to the, there, is a, there will be a small room where all these idols will be kept. And we have to some do, uh, utter some uh, chant, some mantras, they call it. In Sanskrit, without understanding what we were <laughs> chanting, we just have to chant it and then have breakfast. That was the way I was, we were all living. Then when my eldest brother, another Dr. K.N., he did his medicine, and then he want, practiced at home for some time in the village where we were living for about six or nine years. I think so, nine years. And then he went to UK to do some higher education in surgery. And after passing the fellowship in surgery from Edinburgh, uh, that is the first time that any Nambudri was going there. To Nambudri means our caste. We have many castes, as you know, as you know to uh, England or any other country to do medicine or, as a matter of fact, any kind of degrees, postgraduate or anything. And so he went there and then he, did, he was working in a neurosurgical unit in Bristol. You know Bristol? Uh, one of the centers of Brethren, the original the Brethren movement started in Plymouth and then of course, you must be knowing that name, Bristol. Uh, George Muller, George Muller was in Bristol. He had a big uh, orphanage. That is the place where he was working. And uh, there was a meeting one day, staff meeting, nurses and doctors. 
uh, and uh, they were all having a fun they were drinking liquor my brother was sitting here one staff nurse nursing sister was sitting next to him and then they were drinking fruit juice and so my brother asked his nurse why is it that you are drinking uh, this uh, fruit juice then she quoted this verse from 1 corinthian chapter 6 verse 19 do you not know that your body is the temple of the holy spirit who is in you whom you have from god and you are not your own for you are bought at a price therefore glorify god in your body and in your spirit which are god's and one more from another the same letter of paul to the corinthians i don't have time so i am not going to read that and so my brother said i am drinking this ju- juice because if i drink hard liquor my hands will shiver and if i operate on the brain the patient will come out from the theater with paralysis or even patient may die so the conversation went on and he went to his room this uh, made him curious and uh, he went to this room that there is a gideon bible we was about which he was telling there is a bible kept we keep uh, bibles in every you know that uh, hotels and hospitals and nursing homes and schools and colleges and all those places so there was a gideon placed bible there he started reading the uh, romans letter of paul to the romans in the first three chapters tells about man's wickedness and that sin that really touched him and he went on reading uh, i think within few days he surrendered his heart to the lord jesus christ and he was saved but hearing this news back home in the place where we were living his wife and all our people they got upset there was a lot of confusion commotion telegrams and letters were exchanged and he said my faith in un- uh, christianity is unshakable that was the reply i still remember the letter which i read and so they decided to send two emissaries to uk my brother in law and my uncle they went there to edinburgh i think yes at that time you know bristol and then uh, they brought him back and then they counseled him they wanted to reconvert him they thought that he was probably out of his mind he was not normal or that he has had some he had uh, initially they thought that he would have married some british woman or that uh, somebody some missionaries must have brainwashed him anyway they wanted to reconvert him to hindu hinduism and so they know what uh, they did they put they took him to a psychiatrist who was our relative and they gave he gave him three electroconvulsive therapy i don't know whether you know about that it is a low voltage uh, current that passes through the brain so that uh, this is used for psychiatric illnesses only nowadays they are not very they don't not use much but they gave that and then finally it was a failure treatment was a failure nothing happened then he left him alone and then that continued that is the story, first part of the story after 13 years i was watching him after about 13 years i happened to hear one meet uh, meeting uh, attend a meeting 
where my brother was speaking to EU students, Evangelical Union students in one of the big institutes in India. He came there. He used to go to every place and preach. And he talked about this Bible so much. So I was, uh, I, wanted to, I was a little curious. Why is he speaking so much about this? So he, I went to a bookshop in that place. I got a New Testament, NEB, New English Bible. I didn't know the difference between Old Testament, New Testament, nothing. I was a stranger to this. But he, that bookshop, that man gave me a New Testament, small one. And I went home and started reading. And the first few chapters, as you know, for a new beginner like me, can be very, very dull and disinterested uh, topic because it's about genealogy. I, fortunately, I didn't leave it. I continued reading and one, two, three, chapter four, I don't even remember what I read because it didn't impress me. But when I came to chapter five, as you know, this is beginning of the famous Sermon on the Mount. Five, six, seven. Of course, I didn't know about it, nothing about that at that time. Now I know. But I began to read, and I will read it for you. We all know that by heart. But this uh, Sermon on the Mount is the greatest sermon ever preached by anybody anywhere in the world. That is what I believe. That is what Bible scholars also say. Greatest sermon, five, six, seven. And for me, the greatest part of this greatest sermon is the first 12 verses which really spoke to me through the Holy Spirit. I went home and started reading. Uh, and then when I came to chapter 5, it starts like this. Then he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, this is a very paradoxical statement, is it not? Blessed, generally translated as happy. But it's not, uh, it doesn't really give a true picture of that word. But uh, I think uh, you can accept it. Uh, blessed are the poor in spirit. Now, before that, I want to share with you that my condition was little miserable. Although I was a doctor, practicing doctor in one part of India, I was not happy. I don't know the reason. I didn't know the reason. But something was missing in my life. I was trying to imitate other people. And uh, I know. But I failed miserably. And one of the exams, postgraduate exams, I failed. So maybe all these things must have cost me a lot of turmoil inside. I was restless, dissatisfied with life. I had no, I didn't know what I was doing, why I was doing what I was doing. What for? Uh, I thought my practice was a failure. Uh, so uh, uh, I did not come up to my, expect my own expectations. Uh, I couldn't uh, be a person I, wa I wanted to be. So this is this verses, this, some more verses, uh, these two or three verses touched me. Now, poor in spirit, I was really poor, dispirited, without any hope and 
Uh, he didn't know what to do. Uh, that time, the Holy Spirit spoke to me very clearly that you don't worry. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The world today will never accept this statement. It is contrary to what the accepted uh, uh, idea of a successful person. How can a poor in spirit, what the world says, you have to be very smart, you have to be self-confident, you have to be, you know, pushy, you have to be, all those uh, positive things, you know, that is what uh, the secret of success in the present day world. But here, the Lord says a different thing, blessed are the poor in spirit. Unless you are poor, how can God fill that poverty of the spirit? That is what, I was really poor in spirit. And so the Lord poured his spirit in me and he, uh, unless a glass is empty, how can you fill it with water? So I was completely empty and the Lord filled my heart with his spirit. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This was a very comforting verse for me. Comforting. The first verse, the third verse, and not only that, the next verse, four, uh, verse 4 says, Blessed are those who mourn. Happy is the person who mourns. Will anybody believe this statement? If you tell anybody uh, outside uh, the Christian circle, uh, Christians, Blessed, happy are those who mourn. How can a sad person be happy? It's a contradictory, apparently very contradictory, but not so. The meaning is different. Mourning for, from inside, you know, the spiritual mourning. That is what the Lord really means here. It is a mourning of helplessness and hopelessness. Out of that comes mourning. That's uh, the condition I was in. And so naturally this attracted me. Blessed. The Lord was telling me, do not worry. You are all right. Only thing you believe in me. And so, and then of course, blessed are the meek. They shall inherit all those uh, eight uh, beatitudes. This is called beatitudes. Blessed are those who hunger for thirst. But before that, before reading all the sub, uh, subsequent verses itself, I was saved. And I surrendered my heart then and there. Uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ and that is what happened to me. And then I was baptized in another place. Nobody taught me anything about baptism but the Holy Spirit told me. That is a wonderful thing because there was no assembly there, there was no church there, not even a Pentecostal or any kind of assembly. Not, uh, so that was a very dry area in one part of the India. The, in the northern part of India is very dry as far as spiritual, the Christian spiritual things are concerned. But the southern part, there are three, four states there. There, and one more thing I want to tell you, I don't know if you know that. The great apostle Thomas, the doubting Thomas came to my place, my state, where I live. We have 18, 28 states, and one of the states that we live, we used to live, now of course we are in another state. But there, in 52 AD, Apostle Thomas came from all the way from Israel to Kerala. That place is called Kerala. And then he planted many churches in one part in the coastal area, uh, like here. And he came to another part of uh, India, the other part of uh, 
uh, eastern part of uh, India. And then you know what happened? The high caste people speared him to death. And that mountain is still called St. Thomas Mount. He's, he was buried there. His bones were taken to some other place, I think. But that was 2,000 years, about 2,000 years ago. St. Thomas Mount, it is called. St. Thomas Mount. And the road is called Mount Road. Uh, that is incidental, because if you don't know, you must be knowing about all these things, how all the 12 apostles are martyred, where they were, all those things you must be knowing. But this, we, we have historical evidence. So that's how it happened. Uh, and uh, shortly afterwards, my wife was not very happy about that. I want to tell that. Because persecution starts. When person believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, immediately persecution, some sort of persecution. I didn't have much of a persecution because my eldest brother suffered. And so they knew that there is no point in persecuting me, my people, my brothers or any other, my father and other people, uncles. They didn't want to do it. Now we are very friendly, very in friendly terms with all our people. But in the beginning it was not so. So my wife was not very happy. And uh, after about 13 years, only she was saved. But before that, I had association with many missionaries uh, and Christian believers. And they comforted me by saying, encouraged me by saying, uh, do not worry. Uh, Acts 16, they quoted Acts 16, 31. You will be saved and your household. Uh, you know, remember that uh, verse, very famous verse when Paul and Peter, Philippian jailer, you know, they, he asked him, asked them what to do. How can I be saved? They said, you will be saved, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved in your household. So that, I hold, held on to that promise, and truly, that promise was fulfilled after 13 years. I had to wait for 13 years, and my wife read, started reading this, Gospel of John, and then she was saved. Now, the whole family is in the fellowship. There is, we are thankful to the Lord Jesus Christ. All this because of the unmerited favor of the Lord Jesus Christ only. People are saved in various ways. My salvation experience is this way. And so, no two salvation uh, conversions are similar. Unless, of course, it happens in a house. Sometimes it happens the whole house uh, by reading a word or hearing a word. They get saved and that's a different thing. But generally, individual salvation experiences differ from person to person. My experience is that she read uh, John's Gospel, she was saved. I read Matthew's Gospel. And in fact, this my wife had already read John's Gospel when she was in the school. Somebody gave her... But that nothing happened. After she, had, she had to wait for so many years to get saved. So this is a story of, the, of our salvation. We praise God for that. And that since then, we are, we are in fellowship in an assembly in uh, one part of India called Chennai or Madras. And that's a small assembly. Uh, we are happy in the Lord. And I'm a physician. Retired, but still working. And I am working in a hospice, palliative care or palliative medicine. Uh, 
looking after terminally ill patients, dying patients. It's a small uh, private uh, charitable medical free non-profit institution and I work there. It's a small one but we visit homes where cancer patients are there because they can't come to our clinic. So we go there, home-based care. We give point painkillers, morphine tablets, and small little little thing, little counseling. Great opportunity to witness because at the time of death, before death, they are prepared to accept anything, anything. And so we can pray with them, and some of them, we don't know whether, they, some of them have told that uh, they believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but we do, because they die, you know, we don't follow up then afterwards. We don't know really, but it is a great opportunity for me and my team, of course, most of them are not Christians. I am the only person, two, one more doctor is there. He is a believer, but all other staff members are non-believers, unbelievers. And they, but uh, we do that, we pray with the patients. And so, that's what we do. And I propose to go back home and continue my service. Uh, thank you very much for the patient listening and Thank you for the good fellowship we are enjoying. I have met many of you, but uh, I have not been able to meet because it's a large assembly, and it's difficult to meet every person here. But uh, I thank God that we were able to meet many of you and had fellowship with all of you. Thank you.